BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, welcome. Life let's chat. It's hard. You want to talk? I know, that's disappointing. Sit back. Let's work this How's out. How's it going? What are we doing here? Hey, where are you going? Hey, hey there. Wow. It's not always easy. It's amazing if you think about it. Let's think this about this. strange. I have some thoughts about that. Life is hard. Trauma bonded. Hey, trauma bonded lovelies. Ellie here. We're happy to bring you a This Is Actually Happening storyteller update on Katrina Breeze from episode 278, What If You Couldn't Keep Her Safe? And this is from May 2023. It wasn't that long ago, you guys, but it feels really long ago. We talk about her life since recording her episode and the behind the scenes elements of going through the show process. You know, you're before, you're during, and you're after. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Katrina. Katrina, thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on your show. So what's your life update since your story was recorded? And, and I say that it's different than your, when your story aired because I know there can be a lot of time between when your story was actually recorded and when it actually goes to airing. So how, whatever you want to tell us about, we'd love to hear it. Sure. Um, my life isn't much different at all. Um, I'm getting ready for carnival season with my art, which is my busiest time of the year. I'm talking with legislators every week about Donna's Law. I think the thing that has changed the most um, in my life is that I've developed this self-talk of saying this is actually happening anytime I'm doing something I don't want to do, which every day when I'm flossing my teeth, I look at the floss and I say, this is actually happening. (laughs) Um, But yeah, other than that, my life is really mostly the same. Can you give us sort of an update on where Donna's law is at with regard to state-by-state legislation? Um, Sure. So we have about a dozen states that have active bills currently. I was speaking with um, Kansas legislators last week, and um, we have bills uh, coming in in Michigan, Ohio, Massachusetts, Louisiana, um, Kentucky, Tennessee, Um, probably Maine, Massachusetts, Vermont. Um, It's really gotten quite the momentum going. That's amazing. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. I really applaud that work that you're doing. I mean, listening to your episode, it's so startling to know that it is so easy to uh, get a gun when you're in that 
sort of flux mentally. Let's change a little bit. Like, tell me what, and I already know this because I did your pre-interview, but tell me what made you decide to submit your story to This Is Actually Happening? Um, sure. I've been on a lot of shows discussing Donna's Law in the last five years. I had just done a segment on CBS Sunday Morning, and when I watched my episode on there, I felt like my story kept being rewritten into making sure that it had a happy ending. And this story of Katrina Breeze had this beautiful life that was somewhat perfect, and then this tragedy struck, and then she was able to um, heal herself with legislation um, happily ever after. Yeah. And that, um, that framing of the story was really starting to mess with my reality and my sense of self and um, just not feeling that it was right anymore. Um, I felt that the the way that the media wanted my story out there in order to capture as big an audience as possible was to create this like perfect story with the happy ending that my mother didn't die in vain. But it's not really true, and I wanted to work with This Is Actually Happening because I knew they would not turn it into a happy story, and they would let a sad story remain a sad story, which was really important to me. Um, yeah, we're, we're good at that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm also a heavy consumer of the show, and I listen every Tuesday morning, and I cry, and then I can't wait for the next episode. Um, this is my favorite show, not just my favorite podcast, but my absolute favorite show. Um, and I had listened for years and was so grateful to all these other storytellers that had shared these deeply personal stories with me. Um essentially for free that I was able to listen to them and I wanted to give back into that um, mm -hmm. I kind of imagine like on Soul Train when all the dancers make two lines and then um, it's your turn to dance between the people um, yes, I, I love that I, I really felt <laughs> like it was like my turn to do it and to share back and so many of the listeners are also the storytellers so to be able to um, you know have that that give and take within that community is really beautiful. Yeah. I, I have some more reasons too. <laughs> I'll just say them. Oh, oh keep, go keep going. <laughs> sure. Um, another reason I wanted to do the podcast was because I really see it as the library of trauma. The podcast is like 300 ways that your life can suddenly be flipped and leave you suffering. Um, of all these ways that society logs information into annals of museums and libraries and official holdings of information, um, the the collection of traumas is so important to humanity. Um, and I wanted to contribute in that way, um, you know, academically and societally as well. Um, I think that's really, really beautiful. I want to talk a little bit about going back to the CBS this morning. You talk about, uh, you know, every story you'd kind of dealt with wanted to have this happy ending. Why do you think it's important for your story to to show the nuance of all the ups and downs and and the hardships that go along with it um i guess for other people that this is happening to i don't want to think that i don't want them to think that they're failing mm. like i don't want them to see me on tv and say like oh well her mom did this and she's fine and look how successful she is and look how empowered she is and healthy and 
and I didn't want people to like falsely compare themselves to that. Um, and also myself comparing myself to a character right. that, that's on TV is really strange. And then um, kind of being forced to create that in reality among my peers. Um, yeah, I think it's important that we have honesty about it. Um, yeah. I also, I mean, I understand why they do it and like I'm lucky that they're willing to talk about suicide at all on these shows because five years ago when I started this they wouldn't even have mentioned it um so it has to be packaged very specifically and you know no one should be depressed at the end of the story and things like that and um so I I, I wanted to find a different space where I it could be more real and more helpful to society yeah. What and what was your experience of going through the process? Because it it is a hefty one, and I know anyone that's gone through it will say, you know, from sending the email to us, which and uh, embarrassingly sometimes it has taken up to a year or more to get back to people, but going waiting for the email to get responded to, going through the pre-interview, then having to wait to schedule the recording and, and just the overall communication with this is actually happening. Can you just talk about your experience of going through that really tough process? Yeah, sure. Um, it, it was a bit intimidating. Um, I think that the things that I was most scared of was making my mom look bad. Um, mm. It's, it's hard to talk about someone that, you know, does does things like this and still have the audience like have compassion for her um so I was really nervous about how to deliver that um in a way that wouldn't make people resent my mom or wouldn't make people feel sorry for me that that was my mom mm -hmm. um so that was really important to me and it's hard to hold that line when you're opening the floodgates and there's it's it's a real interrogation once you get into it, you know, and um, so it's it's hard to like think about like okay, where are my boundaries and what are things that I shouldn't say and what are things I can say and how how will people feel if I say these and how will my family feel if I say these things? Um, so th you know, there was a lot of concern in my mind about that. Yeah. I was concerned about how it could be edited and how the NRA and people who support the NRA might react to it. Um, you know, that's a bit nerve-wracking. I obviously want people to feel supportive of Donna's law. Um, so, you know, to make sure that the story, like, resonates with people. Um, the process is long, uh, but not for nothing because there's so much work going into it. Um, the submission process and then like you said the the pre-recording and the pre-interview and um I was so concerned about my sound my neighbors were having construction so that was on my mind like every day like yeah. like are they gonna be like drilling the whole time dude I'm the same <laughs> I live in an apartment complex and I feel like they're constantly doing things outside my window or it's like hold for train yeah yes <laughs> do you feel like the episode did everything you wanted to. I mean, just as a listener, I can say, you know, as a listener, I felt such a kinship with you and your mother. And, I, you know, I felt like she was honored and her story was told told in a, in a way where I didn't want to judge her. I wanted to hug her. Oh, thank you. Yes. Um, 
I absolutely love the episode. I feel like it's perfect. Um, as an artist, I am forced to make beauty in this world. And to me, there's so much beauty and sadness and discomfort. And to be able to take such a horrific story and make it just like so beautiful, like it's, it's like, I don't know. I, I just think it's so perfect. It's exquisite. I'm so proud of it. I'm so grateful to the editors and to like every person involved that that they worked with me to put this together. Um, as a listener, you just kind of assume that every one of these storytellers is just such a good storyteller and you don't really realize like how complicated it is to tell that type of story and how much work goes into it. Exactly. It really is something to be made. And, and just a shout out to uh, Sarah Marinelli, who edited your episode. And um, it's easy for people to go on the internet and just rip things apart. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of, sometimes it's obvious when people, you know, people haven't ever made anything in their life, because mm -hmm. they can so easily just rip things apart in two sentences, when a lot of like love and effort has been put into something. Um yeah, I also, I want to, like, kind of fangirl about Whit Misseldine a bit, on, because I on. feel like everyone kind of has a crush on him, although now I have sure. a crush on the editors, um, <laughs> but uh, he's really, like, a master of what he's doing, and to be able to, like, share that space with him, and to tell that, the story with him, and the way that he, he's so trained in um, even before being a podcaster in like finding out people's trauma histories and um, piecing it together and the questions that he makes he asks are then making you think of answers that you've maybe never even thought of before um, and while I was talking to him it was like my brain was just so electric because he's putting together you know, my past, you know, and my parents' past and my grandparents and creating this mm. this kind of like map of the trauma in my family and to be able to see him working that is is truly amazing. And then he's he doesn't like comfort you much when you're talking to him, I think probably on purpose, but he has this <laughs> like sympathy about him that's kind of quiet and he'll be like, mm-hmm. And then he doesn't get sappy or slow down, but he does have this way to keep you propped up emotionally because of his soft strength and persistence being modeled in front of you. Um, so I, you know, I really commend him for what he's doing on that. And then I want to say too that like anyone considering doing this show should consider doing it with their name so that you can actually hear Whit Misseldine say your name and be like, <laughs> Katrina Breeze. I mean, it's <laughs> just, awesome. it's so cool. Um, I love that. I, yeah. <laughs> and then I was thinking too, like uh, after you and I did the pre-interview, one of the things was that I was telling my mom's story and that you wanted me to tell my own story, even though it's pretty much the same story. Um, but that was so significant to me that you said that because I had been sort of like this like carrier of my mom's story mm. and then and like thinking about it as like her legacy and then since you said that, it's it's really helped me like take ownership that this is my story and this is my legacy, um, and to be uh, 
stronger in that and to you know be proud that this is my story that's awesome that makes me feel good oh good I'm sure I got that from Wit I mean he's he really is so wonderful um I could also fangirl about him forever (laughs) um you know when we first were becoming friends you know I thought I was a person that talked or that was inquisitive about myself and other people but then I met Wit and um he he takes it to an, another level. In fact, when we were first getting to know each other, I would commonly be like, do we have to talk about this? And he'd be like, yeah, we need to talk about it. <laughs> but it was always like, it always felt like a safe space. Mm-hmm. He is so nurturing, but he he really wants to get to the the truth of things. So you're right. There's not a lot of like sentimentality about him, but he is like really kind and supportive. And I try to tell our storytellers after I have a pre-interview with them to lean on him as much as they can because he really he really wants to do his job professionally and tell your story in a way that honors the way that you want it told but he also really wants to be there for you because he understands that it is sort it can be re-traumatizing to retell these events especially to someone or of a handful of people that are strangers you know yeah in listening to the edit did you feel like the edit got anything wrong or askew or anything that you would want to maybe reframe or clear up? No, I really thought it was perfect. I love it. I thought that, I mean, it was, it was so seamless to me. Like it felt like when I listened to it, it felt like how I wish I could, I wish I could speak that well, you know? Um, so yeah, I have, um, nothing to add to that. Okay, great. So did you, I know that you're, you did not be anonymous. You said your name, of course. Mm -hmm. And so you, did you receive a lot of contact from listeners and what was that experience like? Oh yeah. It was a total outpouring of love from strangers. Um, It felt very sweet and made me feel like I have a new community in this podcast community. Um, I'm, I'm really impressed that people were brave enough to listen to my story because I don't get that opportunity in life to talk about this for that long and and have people listen. Um, It's really dark for a lot of people and Mm. they can't handle it. Um, And it's, I think that the, um, I would say, and then also like people in real life that I know, like people that I collaborate with or customers or things like that, I would run into them and there would just be this like new air about them. And I'm like, oh yeah, they heard the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is the air? What is um, that like feeling? A, like sometimes people would just tear up, you know? Yeah. And um, a lot of people didn't even know what to say. They would just be like, I heard your podcast. I love you. Um, I had some friends that just thought it was so amazing and tried to, get people to listen to it and they'd like forward it to people and then no one would listen to it because it's just such a a certain type of listener that listens to this show and um you also have to be a person that can be entertained by trauma um it's not just about absorbing it you know I mean Mm -hmm. podcasts are entertainment so you know not everyone is that type of person um Within my family, um, my stepdad loved it. My stepdad, Pat, he's like one of the heroes in the story. And he listened to it. He totally loved it. He's like, you have to send this to your dad. And I was thinking, like, my dad is 
too sensitive to listen to this. And then my stepdad sent it to him, and then my dad made it about six minutes in, and um, that was all he could handle because it just was way too heartbreaking for him to to hear it. Well, you so you speak so sweetly about how they met and their youth, and I'm sure it like immediately just brought up so much for him. Yeah, it really did. And one of the things in in that brief amount of the podcast that he did, um, that he was able to consume um, in it, I'm talking about like, you know, my parents and how they met and why they decided to have kids. And I made a comment like, that's just what people thought they should do back then. And my dad was really affected by that comment. And every time I see him now, he brings it up. He's like, I want you to know that we didn't just do it because that's what we do. We did it because we wanted you and we wanted you for so long. And um, it was like what completed us. And it's, it's really sweet. And um, it's become this like, way that we talk in our family now about that's just what people did back then like (laughs) um, there are like there's so many ways in a family that you can look at the past and be really judgmental of you know your ancestors and choices they made Um, but to be able to say you know that's just what people did back then and um, move forward in our judgments and let's not let's not just stay in the criticism of the judgment and let's just like move on as a family and, and know that like we wouldn't make those same choices today. So that's been a really powerful tool to, to be able to just use the words like that's just what people did back then. Um, and, and move along. I mean, and what an uh, kind of amazing opportunity that it gave your dad to even hear that bit and like acknowledge that in his mind and make sure that that was corrected. Like a lot of people wouldn't get that gift, I guess, yeah. between parent and child. Yeah. And maybe we talk a lot about generational differences, right? And it's like sort of like a boomer generation, just they're really good at compartmentalizing and maybe not expressing all of their feelings around having mm-hmm. kids. And so it can get chalked up easily too. That's just what they did back then. Yeah. And then tell me, did you did oh I wanted to ask you, did you get any kind of negative feedback from listeners or or just trolls? No, I didn't get any trolls. I mean, okay. that I noticed. Maybe I'll delete them. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say that the messages that I tend to negatively react to are typically from bipolar moms trying to explain my mom to me or see me as holding yes. the answer for their daughter's anger at them. Um, I think that it, my story often comes off as this like ideal, idyllic story of like a bipolar mom and a daughter. And... Um, it's really complicated to have a bipolar parent. And when I get these um, messages from bipolar moms that I feel like they're very, like, desperate for answers, but it often feels like they're projecting a lot on me and my mom. And I was very angry at my mom her whole life. And it didn't end until the day she shot herself. And that is not an answer to curing your daughter's anger. You know, it no, might not even work. Not a good it, might, one. Yeah. it might make it worse. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that can be really uncomfortable and sad for me, I guess. Like, and sometimes I feel like moms can kind of become like obsessed with me in that. And, 
want me to kind of like hear what they would want to say to their daughters and justify their own behaviors while in episodic, you know, psychosis and things like that. And um, that can be a lot. And I, I tend to get like really angry even though I don't mean to be, but I can, <laughs> I, I will say that there was one person and I'm pretty sure that my response was, fuck off, that's why your daughter hates you. <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> but I try not to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, But it, uh, you know, it can get intense. And there, there were also a lot of very intense stories that I appreciate and I wouldn't say they're negative, but um, people sharing their own stories like in, in quite a bit of length, you know, like they listened to my whole story, now here's their whole story. Um, and so a lot of stories from daughters who lost their moms to suicide or um, things like that uh, were revealed to me. And, and I, I do appreciate that those people felt so connected to me yeah it feels like a great deal of uh pressure yeah is it I mean there's community and then pressure do you feel like you have to respond to everybody um I would say that the like really and I didn't get any of the following type of comments that I'm going to talk about now but I do once in a while get messages from someone who is in the throes of suicidality mm. and they're a mom and they want to kind of figure out a way that they can kill themselves and that their daughter isn't going to be all fucked up and oh, they see me as like you know someone that knows how to pull that off and I just I don't know how to pull that off you know like it's very much just you know destiny or chance you know or like my, my dad is a lawyer. Sometimes I say I have big lawyer's daughter energy. So it's very like me to go into legislation, even though I had never done it before. It was, you know, something I knew about. So um, that can be really hard. And five years ago, I would stay on the phone all night with one of these moms and just like hope they didn't kill themselves and be like really affected by it. And um, now I just give them the suicide hotline and I say like hey I'm not a professional I don't know how yeah. to deal with this like this isn't a space that I can help you with you know god damn yeah it's intense yeah. I mean yeah like sometimes I think like on one level it's like super rude but on the uh, from their perspective it's like they're so desperate yeah so yeah I don't blame them you know I'm sorry that they're in that situation wow yeah that's intense is there are there any comments or questions that have come about uh, you kind of address this I guess thinking people making assumptions about you or something that you wanted to clarify and I only bring this up because I was I happen to catch uh, people talking about uh, our storyteller from episode 302 about our storyteller whose brother had molested her and then killed himself mm -hmm. and then her other brother killed himself as well and there was just a lot of assumptions being made on on reddit about who touched who who abused the brother was it the father and she actually came on and said hey i'm the storyteller shut up mm -hmm. that's not what happened kind of thing so i'm just wondering if there's any assumptions that were sort of being made that you feel like you want to address or correct 
No, I, I felt like people really got it. And okay. um, I went on Reddit last night and I don't even think I got talked about on Reddit. <laughs> it's random over there. Yeah. Um, but the things that people wrote like in the in the Facebook group um, were so beautiful and I just appreciated so much. And I mean, people took a lot of time to write beautiful things to me. Um, I, I think I'm lucky. I mean, other people's stories are, um, I guess like, the audience could, you know, feel aligned with them or not. I think that people yeah. felt a lot of uh, care about me and, um, I don't know, just, like, love for me. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. I also so, wanted to yeah, mention um, one neat connection that happened was uh, another storyteller recently bought art from me, um, Anne Cronledge, who was electrocuted. I hope, Our human jumper cable. Yeah, yeah. I hope she doesn't mind revealing, like, what she purchased for Christmas. I'm but. sure she doesn't. <laughs> she doesn't seem like she would. But... Um, in Although you might be spoiling someone's gift right now. Yeah, I figured that this, you know, there's time. But um, this, will, this will air after <laughs> yeah. Christmas. I think we're safe. Um, <laughs> but in her episode, it turned out that her childhood home was like blocks from where I live. And then I, oh, you wow. know, I messaged her. I was like, oh, wow, I live right there. And then she went and she looked at my art and I had paintings of like very calm, peaceful paintings of New Orleans, zero trauma. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. um, she like purchased all these pieces for, you know, for Christmas gifts for her family. And um, she also purchased my grief relief card deck, which gives prompts of activities one can do to promote a healthful lifestyle while grieving. Um, mm. It's so sweet and generous that she would choose to support my art and that it resonated with her in such positive ways. Um, it's just such another level of the community because like we can share sadness and there's a lot of sadness that I shared with a lot of people in the, you know, in the comments and in my inbox and stuff like that. But then to just be able to like share a little bit of like Christmas present joy with someone is so sweet. Yeah, that's awesome. That makes me really happy. So you're, I mean, I'm assuming you're glad you went on. This is actually happening. How, how did that, how did that experience fit or not fit into your healing journey? And would you tell your story again in this way? Yeah, I'm, I'm totally glad I went on the show. Um, I, I really feel like it's, it's such a strong community that is built around that podcast. And I didn't even, as a listener, I hadn't um, entered into the social media aspects of the podcast before my episode aired. So I didn't realize like how much chatter there was and, and the way that people are talking to each other and, and also how carefully it's monitored by, um, you know, your team to make sure that people aren't being abused or doxxed or things like that. Um, so I, I guess like part of me before doing the episode felt like all this work I'm doing about like being open with my story and sharing myself and doing Donna's Law was part of my healing. And then after I did the interview, I was just like so exhausted for days. Like I just like went to bed and it made me realize like how, how much it really does take out of you and yeah. how it, it does like open the wound up again and yeah. how like how much I want to be a healed person and how I want to project that to all the people who love me and 
um, to my therapist. I want her to feel like a success <laughs> and that I want people to <laughs> feel like, <laughs> I want people to feel like I'm sad and then they said something and then it worked and, you know, and they did a good job helping me as a friend or, or something like that. So I've really, um, faked a lot of healing mm. um wow over the years and doing the podcast like really made me realize that and it also made me realize that I have a lot of numbness about just um you know insensitivities about any anything you know whether it's like whatever's on the news or my own story and that numbness isn't healed numbness is numbness <laughs> that's true and um yeah, so I that that became like more obvious to me. Um, I also yeah, kind of invented this story for myself that doing legislative work and saving lives and getting Donna's law passed was part of how I was going to heal myself, and that other people who are victims of gun violence could also heal themselves by advocating for you know gun legislation or you know, other, other um, issues that they've been traumatized by. And since doing the episode, I've realized that um, legislation is not like a healing modality. <laughs> um, I think it can be like really traumatic and just keep opening it up. And in being a listener and doing the show and thinking about healing, um, it's made me think a lot differently about like what healing even means. And Maybe there's this level of healing that's like, okay, I'm not bleeding out. Like I have scar tissue and my, yeah. you know, but triage. Yeah, that like I've I've survived, and but that having this happen with my mom, it's like losing a limb, and like every step in my life, that leg is missing, and even like there's this like pain that exists in in everything like um like my mom was very musical and I haven't really been able to enjoy music since she died um things like that so I I think that I see the healing differently now like like it's okay if I'm sad about this forever it's not yeah. it's not my job to um be happy and one of the things that I experience like let's say like within my family about um like, like if my dad sees me as like not being very happy, for example, like he will look at things like maybe I need a career shift or maybe I need a housing shift. And, right. <laughs> and it's like, no, daddy, like this is just how it's going to be. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a uh, I, I guess I look at it differently now that like, you know, even if I cry every day um, that that's okay. Like that's, that's what this is. And, um, that I should, instead of like judging my healing based on how much I cry every day to think about the things that this has strengthened in me, like, for example, courage and my education about legislation now and, um, learning to like stand and deliver in front of Congress and, and things like that, um, I'm really proud of. So there's a lot of things that I'm really proud of. Um, and I feel like for, I'm sure for a lot of the storytellers, like 
you have this experience that you're not capable of of surviving and then you have to become a person that can survive that so you become mm -hmm. this like whole different person and and that person you know um has good and bad like that new person might have new addictions or relationship problems or life changes um but then you're also like so much more resilient to you know new traumas in life right there's no finality in healing it yeah. just keeps going oh it sounds exhausting it but, really is I mean, <laughs> Like, I am so fatigued in my life. Like, I, I'm like, is this, like, I, I come up with, like, all these, like, medical things. I'm like, is it this? Is it that? And I'm like, no, it's just trauma. Like, trauma is exhausting. Yeah. It's just life. It's, I mean, yeah. I mean, but I guess if you're looking at it positively, it's like a seasoned cast iron pan. You've mm -hmm. seen some shit, you know. Yeah. Just a little bit more rich in flavor. Um, so we've not done your episode yet on Trauma Bonded. But I do hope that we get to someday, and I know that we're sort of out of sequence at this point, but I don't see why we can't go back, at least to do, to honor you in this. Um, do you welcome that experience? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I do feel bonded, like, with y'all. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's such a, um, I don't know, I mean, there's nothing like uh, exposing yourself this way, just openly and allowing people to hear your story and to have your story welcome that way I mean it's like even the people who love me the most in my real life um have not given me what this podcast has given me you know this is a very specific type of people that um you know are are very bonded and so I I do you know I do welcome being on on your podcast um I recently recorded with the bunny hugs podcast I know that that's oh, yes. um kind of yeah that's kind of like part of the same community um yeah. I'm connected with a lot of the listeners and other storytellers now on um especially on Instagram um so it's cool to just like see them liking my art and um that they you know for it's like I, I do parade work, so a lot of people begin their relationship with me with this really, like, joyous, over-the-top carnival experience and then had to kind of go down with me on this, like, sad story. So it's nice to have the, these, like, new people in my life that um, were willing to start at the bottom with me and mm. then get to see these you know, these kind of like surprises of, of the beauty that I create. That's great. So tell, tell us, um, how can, how can people support Donna's law? What's, what's the best way, the most grassroots way people can do that if they want to go do something right at this moment? Sure. You can go to Donna'sLaw.com and you can put your contact info in, which includes your state. And when we, um, get to your state, um, we will ask you to send a letter to your representatives. Um, we, because I'm a Louisiana resident, I don't have a lot of power in other states, so I often need an advocate in that state to help me make introductions to the representatives, um, which, 
is a huge, a huge thing someone can do for me, but it really doesn't take that much effort. Like they can just like essentially let me use their email address and have them like send a letter that I wrote and yeah. um, help me make that connection. Um, so that that's just like so valuable. And so Donna'sLaw.com, um, people can make donations to help me travel to go do these things. Um, that's really appreciated too. Is that on the same website? Yep, they can donate through the website. And where can people find your art? Um, they can find my art on katrinabreeze.com. You can check out my um, my paper mache work is under the name Colossus there. And then I also have a dance troupe called the Bearded Oysters, and you can check them out online. Um, I also do a lot with like DIY funeral art and that's on fantasticcasket.com um okay yeah (laughs) just the sound of that yeah you'll enjoy it um so yeah or people can just google me um I I'm doing like all kinds of work uh lately I've been working using the skill set that I have learned through Donna's Law and applying it to female topless equality. So, you know, men are allowed to have their tops off and women aren't. So that's that's work that I've been doing lately. Um, also, if people are interested in that, um, sometimes, like, I've become so obsessed with doing Donna's Law and kind of living in that world since the trauma. And often people are like, what do you do for fun? And so now I can say, like, I do this other legislation for fun. (laughs) (laughs) This has been an episode of Trauma Bonded. Thank you to Katrina Breeze for talking with me today. If you want to affect some change right now, right at this moment, do not hesitate. Go to Donna'sLaw.com. That's D-O-N-N-A-S-L-A-W.com. It's a website advocating for a voluntary do not sell registry for firearms. You can also see and buy Katrina's art at KatrinaBreeze.com. Spread some post-Christmas cheer or some pre-New Year's love. And look for Katrina's episode on Bunny Hugs and Mental Health Podcast. Thank you to Forrest Shiras for editing this special episode. And next week, look for another comments review episode. Oof, that Halloween episode was pure controversy, y'all. We are trauma bonded to the story, to the storyteller, to the listeners, and to each other. Thanks for spending time with me and Katrina today. Miss you and love you, T. Trauma Bonded.